years or is that? It's been, it's been now it's yeah. recorded. Yeah. We, we did it over. Yeah. Yeah. All right. Yeah. All right, ladies and gentlemen, it's 6.05. And I call this meeting of the Cannabis Emergency Regulation Committee to order. Uh, all right, first of all, quick introduction. Um, in the last meeting, we discussed uh, the many issues surrounding the cannabis industry in ANZA, uh, the possibility of regulation, the pros and cons of a total ban in commercial cultivation. Uh, we set everything on the table, and and there, there were a lot of questions, a lot of questions, a lot of incomplete um, pieces of information that we would need to make an educated decision. And today we are here to listen to four of our members uh, <coughs> that will give us uh, hopefully substantial information that will help us uh, make those uh, hard calls. Not even hard calls, really uh, important calls. Um, it is my hope that after this meeting, next meeting we begin crafting the CERC's final report. So keep in mind that um, I'm hoping that we can expedite this process a bit. Uh, the next AVMAC meeting is the second Wednesday of March. Uh, if, we, if we continue our pace, we'll have one more meeting before that AVMAC meeting. Uh, I would like to suggest at a, a later point in this meeting that we have two more meetings before that one, basically one every week, so we can possibly craft a document and review the document, and by the next AVMAC meeting, <coughs> actually have something to present to the MAC. That's just one thing that was that came to mind. So, without further ado, I move to approve this agenda. Did everybody get a chance to look at the agenda? Yeah. All right. So I move to approve. All right. There's a second. Is there a discussion? No. Can we have a vote? All in favor? Aye. 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 Okay. Great. The motion passes. Agenda approved. Next. <coughs> <coughs> the approval of the February 10th, 2018 minutes. Uh, Kieran, would you care to uh, read the minutes so we may? Certainly, thank you. Um, Saturday, February 10, 2018, location Pizza Factory in Anza. The first meeting of the Cannabis Emergency Regulation Committee was held. Um, <coughs> Committee Chairman Edison Gomez Krauss called the meeting to order at 1.01 p.m. If you have any corrections or amendments, just stop me. Um, the proposed agenda was approved by unanimous consent. The Anza Valley Municipal Advisory Committee has authorized the formation of the Cannabis Emergency Regulation Committee uh, to devise recommendations for a cannabis regulatory structure applicable to Anza to be conveyed to the Riverside County Board of Supervisors for consideration and possible implementation. <coughs> the County Board of Supervisors adopted a motion on August 29, 2017, identifying high-level policy objectives of cannabis regulation. These include protecting public health, protecting public safety, protecting quality of life, promoting equity, and protecting the environment. Other guiding principles included providing a regulatory path to daylight the underground industry, preventing access by youth, reducing the size of the illicit market by creating a legal path, and providing clear criteria for responsible businesses who wish to operate within the law, developing a sensible system of regulation and taxation that supports enforcement and the public interest, 
strict selection criteria for permit issuance, directing a portion of cannabis-derived revenues to agencies specifically for inspections of cannabis-related businesses, and to enforce the law against illegal growers, manufacturers, and retailers, creating a system to track illegal cannabis cultivators and dispensaries, and establish a mechanism to prohibit issuance of permits to these unlicensed entities <coughs> for an established <coughs> amount of time to the extent permissible under the law. Chairman Gomez Krauss appointed Vice Chairman Bob Giffen, Kevin Short, Daryl Hosler, Richard Koo, um, Philip Kennedy, Kendall Steinmetz, George Hanian, and Karen Samuels to the committee and obtained their <coughs> consent to serve. Annika Kanapel, Andrew Carey, and Tim Lauritsen agreed to serve as public stand-in members. On a motion by Chairman Gomez Krauss, Kieran Samuels was appointed Secretary of the Committee by unanimous consent. The committee will follow <coughs> procedures outlined in Robert's Rules of Order, newly revised 10th edition. Uh, there is an 11th edition, but I'm using 10th edition. If you have an objection, let me know and I'll buy an 11th edition. Um, Chairman Gomez Krauss cautioned against three or more members discussing committee matters outside of committee meetings in violation of the Brown Act. The chairman will serve as a point of contact for committee members. The committee will meet every two weeks and the duration of the committee is expected to be two months. The committee reviewed a printout provided by Chairman Gomez Krauss about cannabis regulation from the Riverside County Planning Department. <coughs> Currently, the county prohibits all medical or adult-use cannabis businesses and cannabis activities in all zone classifications throughout the unincorporated area of Riverside County. Section 3.4 of Ordinance Number 348 allows the limited also allows the, the limited personal cannabis cultivation otherwise allowed by the Adult Use of Marijuana Act, AUMA, which was Prop 64. <coughs> and the Medical and Adult Use Cannabis Regulation and Safety Act, MAUCRSA, Senate Bill 94. Section 3.4 of Ordinance Number 348 continues to recognize a limited <coughs> exemption from enforcement for violations of the Ordinance for Cannabis Cultivation for Medical Use in certain zone classifications in conjunction with a one-family dwelling if such cannabis cultivation complies with the conditions and standards set forth in Ordinance Number 925. All other cannabis cultivation is still considered <coughs> illegal slash non-compliant. The committee discussed the following aspects of cannabis cultivation for review in consideration of formulating a regulatory framework and the formation of a regulatory body. Identification of current ordinances that address certain impacts of cannabis cultivation, zoning limitations, limiting the number of licenses in the area, and the possibility of linking lot size with the number of plants allowed by the license. Regulations for fencing, setbacks from the property line, and enclosed areas. Sensitivity to family neighborhoods, schools, and access by children. Quantification and metering of water use for cannabis cultivation. Chairman Gomez Krauss distributed a printout of the message from the State of California Water Resources Control Board regarding cannabis cultivation regulatory programs requiring <coughs> cultivators to obtain a small irrigation use registration 
by April 1, 2018, in order to reduce impacts from discharge of waste and water divergence associated with cannabis <coughs> cultivation activities. The environmental impact, I think we should number these. The environmental <coughs> impact of waste, trash, plastic, soil, green waste. <coughs> the control and impact of odor. Energy consumption, quantification, and impact on the power grid. Mr. Steinmetz said that ANZAS climate allowed for a seasonal growing period in natural light. <coughs> Economic viability. There appears to be a five-year window before cultivation is undertaken by large <coughs> corporations. ANZAS microclimate is uniquely suited to the creation of an appellation for a high-quality product, restricting its availability and enhancing its value. Concerns about crime and impact on the community not who are not engaged in cannabis cultivation. ANZA provides a peaceful rural lifestyle that is rare in Southern California, community outreach to address concerns and correct misinformation, regulation as a means to reduce criminal activity and promote compliance. <coughs> the committee considered a cannabis impact fee that could be used to improve law enforcement and code enforcement efforts in ANZA. The committee requested reports from Vice Chairman Bob Giffen, who will report on cannabis regulation models of other governing bodies. Um, Kevin Short, General Manager of ANZA Electric Cooperative, will report on the impact of cannabis cult cultivation on energy consumption. Uh, Kendall <coughs> Steinmetz will report on the cannabis industry, size of grow, and economics. Phil Canaday will report on water data from ANZA with a view to understanding water resources impacted by cyclical droughts and cannabis cultivation. <coughs> Public comments are to be limited to three minutes. Speakers will state their name and where they live before addressing the committee. Anika Kanapal <coughs> talked about the possibility, the possible applicability of nursery industry rules and regulations, their track and trace programs, and inspections for compliance. Andrew Carey discussed indoor versus outdoor cultivation, volumes, and the benefits of LED technology. Jerry Day expressed concerns about surveillance by government infiltrators, property rights, and recommended working directly with your neighbors with no county government interference, no regulations, and the undesirability of inviting inspections and avoiding assaults by law enforcement. The next meeting of the committee will be on Thursday, February 22nd, at the offices of Anza Electric Co-op in the conference room at 6 p.m. The meeting was adjourned at 2.40 p.m. Okay, thank you very much, Kieran. Um, does anybody have a correction or a appeal to anything Kieran said? I move we accept the minutes as read. I would just like to, uh, no, no, okay, no, I, I move that we just, uh, please. Revised it. It's the Anza Valley Municipal Advisory Council, not committee. It's a minor correction, but with with that simple correction, Please. I do move that we approve the minutes. Second. All right. Any objections? Um, point of order, Mr. Chair. There was a motion on the floor that was not retracted. True. So. Oh, sorry. Well, yeah. Okay. So can we retract that motion? Sure. Cool. Thank you. Um, so now we move to approve the minutes as read. Second. Oh. Cool. Thank you. Uh, uh, we take a, any discussion? Nope. We take a vote. All in favor? Aye. 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 All right. The minutes are approved as read. Okay. So <coughs> we move to reports. 
our first report will be <coughs> me, and I'm reading vociferously. I have an e draft EA EIR from Humboldt, 496 pages. I just pulled some. Uh, It's a great ringtone, though. Yeah, it wakes me up <laughs> when I'm listening to KOYT, you know. Right. Okay. Anyway, so I'm reading through that one. I did have, I'll give you a report. I had a drive around <coughs> with uh, Senator Jeff Stone's chief of staff from Temecula today. He was shocked. He said he'd driven up here three months ago. He was shocked at the uh, expanse of canopies and greenhouses that have gone up over the last two to three months. Um, I saw one of the properties that they had <coughs> done illegal grading and did a half-buried greenhouse. They were already under cover and blasting away. Uh, lights are glowing. So anyway, he his suggestion is to form a CSA and an entity is a CSA but again we're back up to that situation with <coughs> you need a super majority and ANZA if anybody knows ANZA or lived here any length of time to get even a majority to vote yes on anything <laughs> is near impossible taxes. a simple majority so to look for a super majority especially <coughs> taxes on everybody it's not going to happen. Um, I've been looking at a number of other things, like San Diego does what's called business improvement districts. Maybe we can form something, get the county to agree to allow us to do something like that, but call it maybe a cannabis improvement district, or do it as a d developmental uh, impact fee that'll only be placed just like they do on developers, we'll call it a cannabis impact fee. What, you have? Yeah, just whenever you had. Um, it, in the San Diego example, um, are they using that model in uh, areas zoned for commercial use? Um, well, or, here, what does I'll, it say? you know, this, this is just, I was using it kind of as just the model itself, okay. not so much the business, but these are different areas. They like pick Adams Avenue, and what they do is these people collectively pay funds in, and then that those funds get spent accordingly, you know, for a business okay. area. They do it for advertising or street fairs or whatever, sure. or advertising, but, you know, <coughs> maybe that could be involved with doing differentiation and also whatever enforcement you know or do a quasi you know I, it, I'm still I've got some calls into to some attorneys and of course like the county we have no money so um, trying to get free legal advice is sometimes very difficult and so I may end up having to open my checkbook and then I have um, some <coughs> other things what I'll do is I'll send you some poignant things if we have everybody's emails because I don't know that I can read everything and I'm not an expert on most of this stuff I just you know I'm just trying to grasp it some way we can get money back this one is from <coughs> Sonoma County and theirs is not near as complete as 
what Humboldt went through. They, they, this is, like I said, a 500-page report. This is the draft, and then they have the final, and I was trying to get it to download tonight, but it was so big it wasn't downloading. So, um, But then we can email it to everybody on the board, and they can start maybe seeing some things, and hopefully by our next meeting I'll have some kind of idea and I'm trying to get feedback from the county on something they might be open to as well that we could you know because if we try to tax everybody to benefit one entity it's never going to happen it's going to have to be funds from the people that are doing it paying for it and you know it has examples of what they're charging in just to give people an idea on canopy size stuff in, in Humboldt there it's let's see indoor cultivations are structures between 5,000 and 22,000 they have zone, zoning ordinances is that a square foot Bob? Um, well some of them say square feet and some of them have different but yeah, it's square feet mostly. But some of them have cubic feet. Some as have well. per plant. Some have per <coughs> plant. Um, I was, I was actually, I stumbled upon uh, an article on how Colorado came across its, its legislation, and they they formed a, a board similar to ours. They they hired a man called Matthew Cook in a small town called River Rock. He was the right here. Matthew Cook was the the senior director for the Department of Revenue for Gaming, Alcohol, and Tobacco. He put together a committee of 32 people and they met twice a month for eight hours and they came up with their, their regulatory framework. See, the thing we have now is we don't have, we don't have their problem. They came up with a 400-page uh, uh, report. We do have framework. We have California's framework. California already has legislation in place. So uh, our biggest uh, hurdle here is finding a way to implement that, that legislation in this town, somehow finding a body that hopefully, because again, we're, we're saying hopefully brings bring some money back, but that can't be our only focus. That, no. that, that's, that's the best case scenario. Best case scenario is we find a way to regulate cannabis in our specific geographic location and send some money to Riverside, Riverside sends some money back. That's the best case scenario. <coughs> Second best, I guess, would be maybe uh, getting the county to either enforce its laws, because that's, that's one of the things it, ha it has to do. Uh, I, I don't see the way we can help them enforce their laws other than funding the sheriff's department, which we are not, it's not even our job or the scope of this committee. Uh, another would be for them to uh, modify their laws to, to accommodate our situation, because ANSA is in a, in a very particular situation with the cannabis industry. We don't have, uh, we're not the city of Riverside, we're not Temecula, we have these, uh, we have large acreage, we have uh, little police uh, enforcement, so we do have uh, an emergency situation on our hands, and perhaps they could not <coughs> bend their laws, but the, modify their laws in a way that could possibly help us uh, fix the situation and help them as well and with with us getting no money back that would be not optimal but it could be a solution if we can't get a regulatory body perhaps a proposal could just be to <coughs> modify ordinance 925 for the unincorporated area 
as an emergency, as you mentioned, an emergency service district. Not, not an emergency service district, but an emergency area. Um, so we have to keep an open mind to that. <coughs> and, and yeah, just, uh, I guess I move to put the subject on the table till the next meeting because there is no real um, I haven't here. seen, I, you know, it seems like my sense of it all is Riverside County really didn't want it, so they were kind of letting it just do whatever it's doing. I don't think they were really watching what's happening in our community. And now that we've brought it to their attention, and that's why I hope to get the senator involved to maybe give some top-down pressure, and we apply pressure from the bottom up, because realistically, I get the sense that it's going to be two years before they come up with any enforcement or regulation, and uh, I can see it being very detrimental to our community if something isn't done soon. Um, just to give you an example, in Humboldt, they're zoning parcels between 5 and 10 acres. They allow up to 5,000 square feet of cannabis cultivation with a zoning clearance, clearance certificate. Parcels 10 acres or larger, up to 10,000 square feet with a zoning certificate cannabis cultivation areas of up to 43,560 an acre basically may be allowed with a special permit so it's probably <coughs> going to be conditionally based on what they have around them. Um, some of the things you know n not 600 feet from a school if you're that close forget it and then they have agricultural zonings and then they have special areas you can't do it at all. <coughs> But, you know, we kind of have a special circumstance because of the water situation again. I don't, I, I see Edison provided something about what the water board says. Because we're unadjudicated, we may have a problem even going any further with the state due to the fact that the uh, basin is not adjudicated. So. Well, and I think the other important point there and I, I know Kevin will speak to this, but clearly uh, encouraging more cannabis growing is again <coughs> going to tax our electric uh, capacity and we just don't have Edison or PG&E or others like that to back us up. So uh, that's got to be a main consideration uh, in anything that we do. Yeah, I'm sure we're close to peak right now. Right and now. you're right, Daryl, I will speak to that. Yeah. Oh, okay. <laughs> I mean, there's no more to say, but we just yeah. need to make sure that that's uh, yeah, I, I, I think on the top of the list that we have to consider. Yeah, I, I believe uh, everyone in this board is, is on board that um, any effort done here, and if, if, we, if we were to create some sort of body that would regulate, the, uh, the main effort would be to, uh, for starters, have no more than what already is here. So we already have, a, a, say, a footprint of cannabis cultivation, and obviously the intent would be to at least the bare minimum, I mean, no, the maximum would be what already is and possibly reduce that amount uh, to something that's sustainable for the grid and for the town economically, for the water basin. But obviously we, any intent here would be not to encourage further influx of cannabis uh, industry professionals or whatever you want to call them. But that, I think that's that's very clear, and I think we're all on board there that we don't want more. We just want to regulate what already is. Kieran, um, 
I did a search and came across some of these documents, and I also read about Coachella and Desert Hot Springs, <coughs> who have formulated something uh, not in contradiction to California state regulations, but particular to their areas. And some of the steps I thought we could take is one, I'd like, I've never understood exactly what the Anza Valley Municipal Council area boundary is. Uh, I know from several people that it includes a portion of Awanga, but not other portions of Awanga and the Anza Valley. So one is get a handle on what we're talking about area-wise. To get some sense of exactly what Edison said, uh, what is the, how many growers are there currently? What is a sense of what are we dealing with today? Where Kevin has explained that, you know, where we can't handle much more. We have our finite water. Um, then look at preferably reducing that impact, never allowing it to be exceeded. I don't know the source, but I know that Kenneth pointed out there's a five-year window before large commercial growth can occur. And I think one major benefit to ANZA would be to, within our regulatory framework, forbid forever that there will ever be large-scale commercial growth in ANZA, because this is home to people. This is not some remote location where families are not going to be impacted and we're not, <coughs> there's an actual benefit to writing this clearly that uh, we would never want this to happen in our area. Well, they're going to look at the electric grid, they're going to look at the water supply, if they're going to do a large commercial... They're going to look at lots of things, but this is something that <laughs> I think that we could specify that we absolutely don't want. Um, and then uh, in light of what the county wants to give responsible businesses <coughs> a chance to come into compliance to revisit what we discussed last time about the size of the lot, the zoning of the lot, the limiting the number of plants um, based on what Coachella and Desert Hot Springs did. Uh, one of them had an industrial area where uh, cannabis is only allowed in that region, you know, away from residential Same areas. Um, I just did a sampling, sure. but I think that we should, even before Bob has had a chance to discuss, to give us further information on specifics, I've been reading about Humboldt and know of some of the impacts, that we could start to develop a wish list of s simple factors that we know must be considered. Um, and with a view to getting cooperation of in, you know, I as a resident, my, my main goal in supporting this effort is to get cannabis growers who wish to be compliant to understand that the community would benefit from their being in compliance and continues to suffer from and will continue to suffer from unchecked, non-compliant cannabis cultivation. So there needs to be a give and take um, where they help us. Um, those are some of the thoughts I had on how to approach it for me. I believe you're, you're spot on, Kieran. Um, anybody have anything else on this matter? Or do we move on to Kevin? No? No? So I move to, move to subject uh, matter B on reports. Kevin Short, General Manager of Vance Electric Cooperative, to report on the impact of cannabis cultivation on energy consumption. 
Thank you, Mr. Chairman. And uh, those of you sitting under the jumbotron there will probably uh, have to train uh, Is this ready to watch the screen? Oh, no. <laughs> put me in charge, I don't know how to run a thing here, so. <laughs> I, I think that's because they know I won't break it. So, anyway, thank you all very much for your time. Uh, should be able to get through this in about two or three hours. So, um, <laughs> thank you. Thank you. Okay, what I'm going to be speaking about here basically is the impact of uh, increased load on our electrical system, and uh, believe me, there has been some increased load. So uh, I've got a, a few things I want to talk about here uh, very briefly, if I can get the thing. I don't know. Oh, there's a green Thank you. Okay, so I uh, want to talk a little bit about uh, what our requirements are, the laws that surround uh, the electric industry, uh, a little bit about our, our load data uh, historically, um, a couple of our load forecasts in the, in the last couple of years here, and how we've diverged from those forecasts. Uh, and again, all of the other impacts, uh, what things are going to cost, the, uh, the possible impact on rates that uh, everyone will be uh, subject to. Um, a couple of very minor little uh, interesting points in, in uh, working through some of this uh, uh, research. Um, this uh, particular uh, source estimates that 1% uh, of the total U.S. Uh, electric energy consumption is the cannabis industry. Uh, while in, in contrast to that, it, it represents that much of the gross domestic product. It's a rather small percentage, if you can see. Um, <clears throat> 46 times its final product weight in uh, carbon dioxide emissions. All of those things take up the, uh, the total energy footprint. Uh, this is just a, a, another uh, resource sort of showing what uh, percentage of each one of those things in the total energy in the, in the growing process, uh, what, they, what they take up in terms of the, uh, uh, the total energy requirements. Um, took a look at uh, a little bit of lighting options. I've heard that tossed around uh, at the last uh, meeting. Um, this source, this uh, research uh, conducted by the uh, Utah State University, uh, there is a, a reduction in energy use using LEDs in the flowering stage but the research also showed there's a reduction in crop output. So uh, those of you that engage in, in growing, you may have some anecdotal uh, information on that. A uh, little bit about the co-op here. We've got 4,000 members, um, about uh, 4,700 active services. 93% of our load is residential. And uh, virtually all of the growers that we know about are located on RR zone property uh, according to the, the REMAP, that's the Riverside Extended Mountaineering Plan. That's what the REMAP uh, area looks like for the Anza Valley. Surrounding the Kauia Reservation, which is a big gray rectangle in the middle, all of that light green color, that's all our art. That's where all the growers are at, virtually, that we know about that are connected to the grid. Uh, legally, uh, the cooperative is a franchise utility in the state of California. We have an obligation to serve the legal load. And I underline that because that's a fact. Uh, 
our policy does allow for disconnection under certain circumstances. If you like to get free electricity, you're going to get disconnected. Uh, you can't maintain your equipment in a safe, res uh, responsible way, we'll disconnect you and so on. Energy theft, we'll talk about that a little bit. So, got a couple of pictures just to demonstrate what a few things look like here for you. Hey, Gus, Kevin, before you go, uh, yes, on the data about <coughs> the uh, usage of the uh, energy, are those the mostly just indoor, right, correct? Is that your database only indoor some, or also? Some of the, and I've got uh, copies for the for the committee of all of the research papers, but some of them are, yes, specifically on indoor. Indoor, okay, mm -hmm. all right, thank you. Okay, so this is a really good example of an unsafe condition. Pretty unsafe condition. I don't know who lives there, but. Um, <laughs> more unsafe, really unsafe. Um, this is an energy theft, and every energy theft I show you here was on a, uh, a known grow operation. Energy theft, tapped into the lugs there. Meter bypass, energy theft, energy theft, energy theft. Very clean, but energy theft. Um, energy theft, energy theft, energy theft. This is, this is one of the major reasons why we want to avoid some of these unsafe conditions, because we don't want to see these guys out. Yes, sir. You were very good to, uh, we had a grower next to us who uh, had put in a well, ran an extension cord 700 feet across a ridge, moved down to his trailer, and with a phone call, you guys were very kind enough to come and shut him down. So thank you for that. That sure. was uh, extremely unsafe. I don't know what sort of animals eat extension cords. Well, extension cords are uh, uh, illegal for permanent connection uh, under the National Record Code, and we consider them an unsafe condition. So. Thank you. Thank Kevin, you. quick yes. question as a point of reference. Mm -hmm. um, out of all the uh, energy theft situations you encounter, mm -hmm. what percentage, do you have a, a percentage of them, how many go to the grows? Uh, within the last couple of years, Brian, I, I don't know a number, honestly. Oh, sorry, ballpark. 70 to 80%. 70 to 80%? Yeah. <coughs> it's becoming more and more of a, of a, of a large expense. Uh, you know, it is. Electricity is not the cheapest thing on the planet. It's still a pretty good value when you, when you consider it. But uh, um, so, yeah. Okay. Brian's our operations manager. He, uh, he has everyday contact with this kind of stuff. So, um, so let's talk about energy theft. Uh, you saw the way most of those things were tapped in there. It's not safe. It's very dangerous, and there is an extreme risk of, of shock and fire. Uh, it is a violation of our standing board policies. It is punishable under the California Penal Code, um, and it's expensive. Um, that number is is estimated, uh, but we do we do figure about half of our line loss is typically energy theft. Um, so that's over half a million dollars per year cost to the co-op. <coughs> Divide that out amongst the members, it's about $133 per year. That's, again, estimate. Um, real quickly, I want to explain the difference between demand and energy so you know what we're talking about. Uh, this is one analogy that I like to use. Demand is kind of a snapshot of where you're at right now, how much energy you need right now. So it's analogous to a speedometer, whereas energy is what you pay, that's what your bill is, kilowatt hours. So it's energy used over a period of hours. So it's analogous to the odometer in the car. There's other analogies, but I thought this one was kind of cool. Uh, so really quickly talking about our system demand. This graph is from our 2015 uh, load forecast, and it's a little bit busy. I've got to explain a couple of things. 
Uh, first of all, that dotted line that runs across the middle there, it says 14 megawatts over on the left. That's our complete system capacity. That's all we got. That's the ceiling. We can't go above it. Um, it's kind of hard to see. I apologize for the small uh, picture here, but uh, the forecast showed down on the bottom there, that kind of brownish reddish line. Uh, that was what our system load was forecast to be. Oh, thank you for the arrow. Appreciate that. Uh, so as you can see where that crosses the 14 megawatt line right there, we were estimating about 2023, 2024. That's where we were going to hit our capacity. Um, we came within 700 kilowatts of our actual capacity in 2015. Okay? Questions on this? Um, yeah, again, as a point of reference, okay. um, it, do, does the electric cooperative uh, uh, credit this extreme spike to cannabis cultivation or an increase in residentials? No? No. Cannabis. No. Well, how many new houses were built, to the best of your knowledge, in the last two, well, in 2015? In 2015-ish. Couple. We, we know. <laughs> okay. No, no, just ask them. And I'll, I'll explain that in a little bit, how we know. So here's our most recent load forecast for last year. We haven't completed the 28. Did we complete the 18 yet? No, we did. Yep. Okay, well, this is the one we have actual data for for a complete year. So in, uh, in 2016, we completed the forecast for 17. Now, remember, we had hit 13.3 the previous year, um, and we allowed for that. So that's where that graph goes on the blue line there. Um, the forecast showed that we were going to push uh, our 14 megawatt capacity for real at about 2020. We still had a couple of years of breathing room. Instead, last year we actually peaked at 15.2. So, um, does anybody, you probably don't remember seeing this, but when you drive down into Hemet through Mountain Center, right? And you go past a little road called McCall Park. There's McCall Parks down there. If you look up, you'll see three wires across the highway right there. Those are the three wires that feed everybody here. That's our only source of, in, uh, of uh, import. Um, on the map right here, our system map, you can see that the red line all the way to the very top there that goes uh, up through Mountain Center. One of these days, those wires are gonna turn into a fuse because they're gonna overload and melt. This is about actual capacity of those wires. The, the physical capacity of the waters. The 14 megawatts is our contractual capacity of our import from uh, Southern California Edison. This is where we're actually uh, bouncing our head off of the ceiling and wondering what's gonna burn down first. So let's talk about energy for a second. Since 2011, we've seen an increase in total energy sales. Remember, that's kilowatt hours, that's demand used for a period of time of 23%. That's for the whole period. Year over year, in the last three years, we've seen 5%, 6% in this last year, a 9% increase in load growth. Um, I can tell you in the electric industry, that is absolutely unprecedented. 1% maybe, flat is more likely. The electric utilities across the country are complaining about flat and even declining load because of efficiencies and uh, you know more people uh, installing their own solar uh, installations, things like that. So a 23% load growth in uh, seven or eight years is pretty incredible. I just realized I've got 2015 to 2017 up there. Sorry about that. Moving on. Okay, 
So this last summer, what we did in, in uh, developing these numbers here for you is we took a look at um, our, our highest residential users, our highest residential energy use. Okay? Regardless of, of what goes on at that particular service, these are the 200 largest services on our system. And they're all on the residential rate because that's where all of the, the uh, energy is being used, literally. Um, so 200 services represents about 4% of our total. And those 200 services use 14.5% of our total energy. That's pretty outsized. 30 of those services, the 30 largest users in this last summer, this is July and August, uh, less than 1% of the total services on the system used 4.5% of the energy. It's pretty incredible. And the highest residential service, the, the grand prize winner, believe me, I won't tell you where it's at. Uh, <laughs> some of you might live there. Um, used 25 times the average energy of an average home in our system for that period, seven and a half times the demand. Pretty incredible. That bill, that power bill, ranged somewhere in the neighborhood of $7,000 wow. per month. That particular service, I'll tell you a little bit about that service. The entire year's service, the bill averaged about $5,000 per month. Indoor grow. It has to be. Absolutely. Kevin, quick question yeah. uh, again. At what point does the cooperative see some sort of red flag that someone's at the threshold of kilowatts per hour that some that a residence is consuming? Do you have like a number where you say like, okay, that's way too much? It, it depends on the home. Uh, a a 5,000 square foot mansion with five air conditioners is going to use a lot of energy. Yeah. Um, a 1,000 square foot home with 10 air conditioners with the windows all blanked out with a lot of grow lights and things like that can use 10 times the energy. Okay. So somewhere in the two to 3,000 kilowatt hours per month is pretty excessive. Okay. okay. So what are we doing about it? <clears throat> Uh, last April, we signed a contract with Southern California Edison to increase our import capacity by 27%. That'll give us a nine, uh, 19 megawatt import capacity. Um, based on that, we think that will get us almost to 2030. Now, it took us three years to develop that contract with Edison. Remember, they signed it with us last April. We sent them $700,000 when they billed us in July to get the ball rolling on that. Nothing's happened yet. Southern California Edison is a big company. Oops, they don't care about us. <laughs> I, please don't publish that. Don't read really. <laughs> We love Southern California Edison. I'd love to expunge the record. comments. We always say that joke, but we really do have a very good working relationship with them. And I very much appreciate what they're able to do for us. And they have been doing quite a bit uh, just in the last six months to improve our reliability issues, which is not the subject of this committee. But anytime you guys want to talk about that, we can. So uh, right outside the back door out here, we are uh, in the process of upgrading our main substation, which feeds probably 75% of our load in the area. Uh, just yesterday, we received uh, a new transformer for that. It's a big sucker. It's about as big as this, well, half as big as this room anyway. Uh, it weighs 90,000 pounds. Um, and we lifted it over the fence yesterday afternoon. It was a lot of fun. We got pictures. 
a uh, crane. With a crane, with a crane, yes. Thank you. <laughs> and uh, in addition to that, we're also, uh, we've been planning for about six years now to build an additional substation in town um, on Batista. That'll be a reliever to this substation. It'll also give us looping capability for the first time in our history. What that means is if we have a problem in this substation, we don't have to turn everybody off. We just shift it over to that substation. That's a big deal. So we're doing that. Mainly what we're doing these upgrades for is because the seven and a half megawatt substation out here ran 20% overloaded for the last three years in the summer. Um, we've been living on borrowed time and I'm really glad to see that transformer here. Um, we about almost 10 years ago, I guess, nine or 10 years, we investigated several options for, for uh, a supply here. For a new transmission line, uh, instead of the single line feed that we have right now for Mountain Center, we looked at, uh, I think, six different routes uh, to, to build another transmission line as an alternative and as a backup. Um, we, we can't, we just can't. We're investigating uh, some more solar, uh, you know, we've got a two megawatt solar array right next door here. It's not doing too much right now. Um, but we're also looking at uh, battery backup capability for that. So that's that's in the uh, in process. Um, increased demand, more cost. The way the energy system works, the electric energy system works is if you need more, you get to pay more for it. If you need more right now, it really gets expensive. So when we see these high ramp rates uh, in the evening, when everybody comes home from work, comes on the everything that goes along with modern living, which uses electricity, um, and the sun's going down, the solar stops producing, um, it's getting colder, the heaters come on, and so on and so forth, uh, it's cost more per kilowatt hour to bring it in. Um, our capacity upgrades, remember I said $700,000 to Edison to start that project? That's the start of the project, okay? Uh, there's, there's a lot of factors that go into that increased capacity and we all have to pay for that. Here's the problem. Transitory loads are not gonna pay their own or their fair share. So what we've seen um, in particular with some of the known grow operations, um, these folks will come in, they'll set up shop, um, they'll run for a while, um, they'll stop paying the bill, then their friend comes in and takes over the service. Well, we can't charge the friend for that guy's bill, so he takes over the service, he runs for a while, he stops paying his bill, we disconnect, and the next guy comes in, they do this over and over and over again. It's a great game until we figure out who they are and we stop turning them back on. Um, everybody has to pay for that thing. All of those losses are socialized amongst everybody else as a member of the cooperative. It's not right. So we're doing our we're doing our best to control that, but it's it's a really it's really difficult. Um, anyway, the the more these costs are incurred by the co-op, the more we have our one and only uh, source of revenue is our rate structure. So we have to figure out how do we how do we do something to um, uh, to to limit that exposure, limit the costs, and then cover the cost of all these upgrades that uh, these increased loads are, are creating on the system. Well, I think I heard at the last, um, last meeting, somebody started talking about, well, we'll just go on solar. Let's talk about solar for just a second here. Does anybody not know that I've got a little bit of a background in solar? Okay, I do. 
Um, but I'm not going to hold myself out as an expert, but I want you to understand this. This is for our friend there, the largest guy that I told you was a $5,000 a month bill. Um, if you wanted to take that size of a load off grid, it'll take about 180 kilowatts worth of solar. Now that doesn't sound like very much until you realize that you're off grid, so you've got to charge batteries. And those are real numbers, 20% capacity factor. That means that a solar panel only produces its, its maximum about 20% of the time. The rest of the time, like right now, it produces exactly nothing. Okay, so you have to oversize your solar to charge battery during the day. Battery charging is a very inefficient process. It's about 80% round trip. So you'd need 36,000 feet, square feet of land, almost an acre, and that's every square inch of that acre to be able to feed that load. About a quarter million, we'll put it in for you. Best of luck getting it permitted. So, if we were gonna apply this logic, this off-grid logic to those 200 uh, largest uh, accounts that we have there, um, bring a lot of money. You need 100 acres and about 20 million. You won't get it built in Riverside County. And let me tell you how hard this one was to get built. That's two megawatts next door, okay? So, Bottom line, we've had a pretty good increase in energy over the last few years, a lot of uh, cost. Um, we don't have any room left, uh, basically, at this point. Um, our, our forecasts are based on our history and on economic issues, on, on uh, weather patterns, and so on. It's, it's a pretty complex algorithm to forecast what we're going to be doing in 10 years. How many of you know exactly what you're going to be doing 10 years from now? How many of you know exactly what you're doing tomorrow? I don't. <laughs> but so we, we have to. We have to look that far in, into the future because as a utility, it takes us a long time and a lot of money to build the, the infrastructure to build that load that just keeps coming. So we have had to compress the, that 10-year forecast pretty dynamically. Uh, this increase in uh, 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 our import capacity with Southern California Edison we had originally hoped that when we did do that, that was going to take us out to uh, the mid-2030 timeframe. I don't think it'll buy us five years if this uh, rate of expansion continues. So um, just in the last three years, we have had more blown-up transformers due to overload than we have in the last 20 combined. Just in the last 24 hours, we've had five residential accounts uh, impacted by blown-up transformers that were overloaded. And dozens and dozens last year. Um, and there's the increased cost. So, anyway, I think that's all I got. So, any questions? So, I've approached this as a resident who has little interest in cannabis my, to grow it myself uh, from a point of view of we have growers in the area, if there was a way to make it more compliant and reduce the number, it's a positive <coughs> thing. Uh, put that more reasonable attitude aside for a minute and just focus on this um, case to be made for we don't want any and if that's uh, a position that one could take as a resident how can we address <coughs> this when you look at this aspect of it it's not good for this community but we're unable to police them much you're doing what you can when you catch them and then the you know the new owners and the different names. It seems like 
it shouldn't be on you to have to do that much policing even for energy. As far as law enforcement, I don't know what's happening, but it's not much. What could we do to at least begin the process of, okay, we'll try and make something nice somewhere down the future, but for right now, cut it out. This is not good for ANZA. Well, this becomes so, the basis, I'm sorry, Kevin, of your no, emergency regulation. But, Just right, right. <coughs> but what if the answer is we really can't do, you know, we, it has to be either much, much smaller or not at all. Who would enforce, what if I decided I was queen of the world for a moment and I decided I want 80% of them gone? Who would Please, Your Majesty, that? do not appoint us the energy police. No, no, <laughs> I'm so sorry. I'm just asking how <laughs> to look at it from a different direction. Understood, okay. Um, let me... Let me turn everyone's attention to the, the wall right behind the chair there. Those are the seven cooperative principles that every cooperative in the entire world operate under. Every true cooperative is based on that, those principles. So basically what it all boils down to is everyone that takes service from this utility is a member of the cooperative. What we do as staff what the elected board of directors that sits in here once a month does as representatives of those members, we do what the members want. If it's legal, if it's safe, if it makes some sense financially, and if it's, if it's within uh, our articles of incorporation and our bylaws and our mission statement. So basically we are organized right now as two different things. One is an electric utility, a distribution utility, there's a, there's a very definite definition there. And the other one is internet. Okay, that's not what we're talking about tonight. But those two things are what we're supposed to do. So if our members say, okay, what we want the co-op to do is work on a cost causation basis and the higher demand services in our system, remember we have to look at energy, we don't look at what the load is necessarily. So this is the way our rate structure is determined. Um, the more you use, the more impact you place on the system in terms of equipment, equipment size, uh, and the longevity of the equipment. So it's up to us to determine what the load is in, in terms of size, magnitude, demand, and energy, and uh, build it and meter it accordingly. So rates is, is the answer, I think, to your question. How does that address the theft? Theft, we have to find it. And sometimes it's hard. And uh, when you find it, what happens? We shut it off. And then we report it to law enforcement. And what does it cost us as members of the co-op for you to devote resources to finding that theft? Those numbers that I showed you, that was half a million dollars in energy loss only. That's why I'm asking. Yeah. Uh, percentage of, of uh, staff time, uh, transportation, overhead, everything else, I, I don't know. Honestly, we probably- But it's probably a cost to members. Absolutely, it's a cost, yes. yes. So. Okay. All right, um, is there any precedent, oh no, um, is there any historical situation where you can uh, increase the rate according to an industry? Like say, if, if there were, uh, I don't know, uh, well, in this case, the cannabis industry. If you could have s uh, special rates for a specific industry, is that legal? 
Or is that like not something the cooperative would want to get its hands involved in? Normally, commercial rates go down. The rate making authority for cooperatives in California resides with its elected board of directors. So the rates for our cooperative are determined by the folks that are elected here. And they work, of course, they, they have professional staff to make recommendations and we do pretty extensive rate studies. But as I, I mentioned a couple of times, rates are based on cost causation of the load. The trouble with most of those 200 folks in, in this presentation is we don't know what their load is because they don't tell us what their load is. So we have to meter it and then find out the hard way what their load is. So we made one adjustment uh, to our rate structure in 2015, I think, was it? Uh, we, in, in this particular case, these are all on uh, what's uh, known as rate two. Um, over a certain uh, level of demand and, uh, and energy use in the residential world, uh, we start measuring demand. Uh, in, in the normal residential uh, metering, demand's not measured. Okay? It's just, it's expensive to measure. It's pointless to, to measure usually. The average home demand is, is five to seven Okay. Most of these are in the range of uh, 40 to 70 kW. So, and we do measure that. So we do add an additional charge in there for demand. So demand is one of the uh, one of the metrics that increases the size of the wire, the size of the transformer, and the overall uh, system capacity issue. So that's one of the one of the techniques that we have. Okay. So we do base it on load, not necessarily what's out there. So, because we really, truly, if, if we see a house and we don't know what's inside of it, we don't know what's going on in there except what the meter says. And as you can see by a couple of pictures, sometimes we don't know what we're missing. Hey, Kevin, so yeah. in terms of the law, right, uh, when, when a resident come in, they apply for, let's say, electricity, right? Mm -hmm. And you have an average of so much power they use, right? And you guys typically meter those. And, and as the number increase, right, to, to be such that it's not normal, right? Don't mm -hmm. you have information on all those residents? Mm -hmm. And can you police those that, hey, you come in, you, you only want this much right, per month, but now you cannot, next month you go up like this, mm -hmm. that number doesn't seem to be normal. Can you police those uh, residents? Well, we do pay attention. And it, the, the electrical world is kind of interesting in, in terms of the, the utility model because you can have as much as you want mm -hmm. and we'll bill you for it next month. Okay. So, but we don't know how much you're using until you either uh, blow something up or, or we come and read the meter. So, um, but yes, to, to, to answer your question, that's how you end up on that rate. Mm -hmm. If you use so much, we change the meter, you now start uh, paying demand. And we notify the, the members that you know, that's happening. Um, but it's, it's, again, strictly based on on uh, the load. Yeah, because I, I would think that for the depth, right, if we know all <coughs> the residents, you know, an average, how much power they use, and, you know, if, if they are actually at certain peak, mm -hmm. it just went out of the whack, out of the number, then maybe that's a way to send people there and we can police based on that. You know, I mean, is theft usually from one yeah. particular resident or a central distribution point <coughs> or a uh, <coughs> when someone does these beautiful examples of wiring yeah. to steal energy. Yeah, yeah, one, one residence at a time. Okay. So it could be identified. But if we can catch them, 
Yeah, I guess it could, but I guess just for lenience, um, uh, to a point, I think it would be uh, sort of in. I don't know what kind of regulatory for, uh, regulatory framework we can come up with, but I think it would be somewhat invasive, maybe if to have to be checking people's rates, right? That's something that's on the cooperative's hands, yeah. but I think that would that's that's very apart from what this committee can uh, really no, achieve. Just it's to really understand yeah. the impact. Yeah, but it's, I think that's it's kind of it's 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 kind of far away. I guess. Well, I think if we're gonna, if we're considering you know limiting the amount of permits <coughs> on the hill, what's wrong with limiting the amount of kilowatts per residence? Oh, this is a natural limiter. We've got a we've got a ceiling that we can't go. I mean, per, as a grower, maximum output. Per grower, well, and you're capped at X, and that's all I get. Uh, but again, that's hard to do because um, the only way we could do that really would be uh, a current limiting device of some kind that shuts the service completely off when it gets to a certain point. Correct. So, but that that adds complexity and cost to our system. Okay. Uh, really hard to do. Okay. And do we know how many residents here in this valley and? What percent of the people actually are connect using the grid? And I would assume that there's a lot of people that actually do not have electricity, right? They're using the yes. they are, you know, they are needed solars and right, right. Yeah, the, o the only ones that we know about, and the, frankly, the only ones that the cooperative cares about, are the ones that are connected to the co-op. Okay. So uh, if you know off grid, that's hey, more right. power to you. Okay. Um, hopefully, but um, like I said, there if you're if you're looking to do a, a, a grow of that capacity, that magnitude, it's not possible yeah. with solar. So you're going to be running a generator, okay. and um, not a small generator either. That's yeah. a big, big demand. Yeah. So, so I think we got everything we want here. Want to move it along to? Uh, okay. Well, I was, yeah. I, you said you were looking at increasing the lines ten years ago, mm -hmm. and you couldn't find any cost-effective way to get up. You knew power was, you were gonna top out 10 years ago. Mm -hmm. If it probably wasn't for the real estate crash, we would have topped out anyway, maybe. No, I think he was saying that they knew 10 years ago that they would top out in 2033, 34, mm -hmm. and they hit that 2015 <coughs> right. because of this. Yeah, roughly 10 years ago when we, we uh, were investigating what we needed to do to expand our capacity, we anticipated uh, a 15 to 20 year window to get that done. So what we discovered then was there was no easy cost effective way to do it. So a new transmission line, um, roughly $30 million, uh, just for uh, a matter of record, our entire system is worth about $33 million. So we couldn't figure out a way to finance it with negative equity. And I don't know about you guys, but I don't want to tell everybody that uh, um, we get to raise your rates three or four hundred percent to pay for Well, I've got a real good answer for the whole thing. Well, actually, Kendall, yeah. your your yeah. next time. I'm dying to hear yeah, it. I've spent my whole career trying to figure this out. It's yeah, called so. outdoor cultivation using the sun. Okay. Yeah. Right. The actually, only reason Kendall, why people actually, are outside. Um, using your electricity is because they were forced inside by the laws. Mm -hmm. Yeah, well, so now that we have a legal scenario. <laughs> it's about to come down. Kendall, um, actually, if you're done, Kevin. Uh, I'm listening, anybody else has any questions? Right? Unless you guys, no, no, Kendall, 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 don't make me use the thing. You're next, actually, you're the next speaker, so. These are, there's, there's enough here for the whole uh, committee. Um, that's got uh, the presentation on it. Wow. And 
and uh, I wanted to presentation. Um, there's two or three uh, uh, white papers uh, on, on energy use. A uh, copy of the uh, August Board of Supervisors resolution that started this whole thing. Um, California Penal Code 498. Um, our board policy about power theft. Um, the, there's a PUC uh, Prop 64 workshop. Um, the, since we're operating under the Brown Act, I thought everybody could use a copy of it, so the government uh, code section is in there. Uh, research on lighting and the entire remap uh, report from the county. So, all right, it's all cool. yours. Well, thank you very much, thank Kevin, you for that. Thank you. And uh, we pass it on to uh, Kendall Steinmetz with a report on the uh, no, report on the cannabis industry, size of growth and economics. Kendall, the floor is yours. The first page is a copy right out of the County Riverside General Plan, the remap we're talking about. Uh, it is a copy of the Anza Valley Policy Area, remap 1.1. And the very first, very first uh, statement here, uh, promote the viability of existing rural lifestyles and continued development of rural residences, ranches, Farms in the community. That's that's the uh, Riverside Extended Mountain Area Plan. So that that's their was their intention. Uh, second page here, I pulled right out of the Ordinance 348, uh, County of Riverside explanation of rural residential zoning uh, uses permitted number three. Nurseries, greenhouses, orchards, field crops, tree crops, berry and bush crops, vegetable, flower, and herb gardening on a commercial scale. <coughs> the drying, packing, canning, freezing, and other accepted methods of processing the produce resulting from such permitted uses. That is permitted on rural residential or our residential. Uh, looks right up there. Uh, then there was the water issue, state board cannabis cultivation water rights. This is right <coughs> off the California Water Board's uh, website. Uh, you're all welcome to read it. The, the last page that's highlighted in the blue, uh, you're talking about the small use, uh, the SIUR, small irrigation use registration forms and uh, permits and their applicability. Uh, the highlighted down here, it says, <coughs> if your source is a groundwater well in Los Angeles, Riverside, San Bernardino, or Ventura counties that extracts more than a 25 acre feet in a year uh, <coughs> is required to get one of these uh, small irrigation use permits. Uh, an acre foot's 325,000 gallons, 25 acre feet is over 8 million gallons of water. So essentially people with small residential wells are exempt from <coughs> the requirement of getting one of these SIUR permits. I'm sorry, I don't understand. This is something 
Um, there, I read there was a part that dealt with cannabis cultivation that said all cannabis cultivators had to, not based on so whether you use one or 12 or 25. This is for non-cannabis cultivation, right? Well, this is this entire form is about cannabis cultivation sorry. from the water board. Sorry, yeah. okay, sorry. Yeah, that's what they're specifying here. Um, Question, Kendall, real quick. Uh, what size of a grow would uh, use less than 25 acre feet? Just to have an idea. Uh, there's probably nobody up here. There's nothing big enough up here that would take that amount. Um, I've got some figures on that as far as, um, we, we talked about five gallons a day um, per plant. Of course, when the plants are small, they don't need all that. As they mature and it gets hotter and drier, they do need the five gallons a day. Uh, Six months would be 180 days. Five gallons times 180 days is 900 gallons per plant, per crop. Uh, 10 plants would be 9,000 gallons. 100 plants would be 90,000 gallons for the whole crop for all 100 plants. So you can see 90,000 gallons is it's, uh, below a quarter of an acre foot. It's, it's a pretty, it's not actually considered a water thirsty plant. Um, but from what, and then the way uh, Oregon and others are, are uh, ex required, they're not requiring people to get uh, permits for their water use unless they're tapping into streams, lakes, riparian water sources. <coughs> if it's your own groundwater and you've got the rights to that groundwater, it's, they're, they're not requiring any permits. It, it, this raises that thing again. About the lawsuit, of course. We're unadjudicated, so we don't, the, the rights are undetermined right now. Okay, well, you're, you're all welcome to read this report, this, this section here on the canvas with the from the California Water Board. That's why I printed it all out for you. Thank you. And then, uh, then you wanted me to report on the economics of of cannabis cultivation. I pulled up this RAND report here. It's 29 pages long. It was done in 2010. Um, I kind of highlighted the front page of it. Uh, back in 2010, cannabis was selling for a lot more than it is now. It's almost half the, the, the cost. It's dropped in half, if not more. Um, but the, the production cost and the, and the processing cost have stayed the same, if not gone up. Um, and that's a fairly <coughs> decent report on all that. Uh, as far as what it takes to produce and, and the, the production costs. And I, I wrote this little thing here, because I'm really not good at... Oh, I'm sorry, Kendall. Yes. Um, on, the, on the page here that uh, has the cost, for 2018, uh, it looks like you have a range of 500 to 1500. Yeah, that's what it's down to these days. Okay, so that's a 300% spread there. Um, what's well, the, what's, what's the variable? Well, that's indoor and outdoor. Outdoor is down to 500 a pound, and indoor is still holding up at 15. So there's the range. And green, so has, green has to be in the middle somewhere. Correct. Yeah. Okay, I'm, I'm, please excuse my ignorance. No, what's the difference? Indoor, outdoor. I, I don't know. Well, quality. 
and okay. production costs. So you have better control. So, but but production costs wouldn't wouldn't reflect the the wholesale price, right? Uh, that's, it that's, does somewhat, yes, yeah. Because as it says right here in the production your, costs, but uh, that would be your net. These production costs here <coughs> are the, this uh, this paper took four different examples. They took one that was a five foot by five foot table inside somebody's house. That's mm -hmm. what they call an indoor hobbyist. The second was <coughs> a 1,500 square foot indoor house being cultivated with lights. Mm -hmm. Okay, the third one is a half acre greenhouse. It was actually an acre with half of it covered in greenhouse. That's their production cost. And the fourth one is outdoor okay. production cost. I understand the difference in cost. Why the, why the disparity in what- That's the what, market. It's a funny let me, market. Let me finish my question, please. Why the disparity in the wholesale price based on indoor versus outdoor? It, you said quality. quality. Is, is that it? Pretty much. Okay. Pretty Com much. And it's got a, the indoor, see the, what's happened here in the last couple of years is the, the oversupply of the outdoors made the price plummet and the indoor is still holding on to its price. Okay, so, but it's just based on quality, quality typically. Quality and aesthetics. I guess there is... THC content, is that That's basically right, it? Right. Th okay. There must be also... Thank you. Quality. Got it. I would Thank imagine there is also a, a, an increase of uh, the price because of the, the production cost itself, right? Obviously, if it costs more to produce, it's going to cost more. I mean, you, you have to sell it at a higher price, right? Yeah, well, but, but they may not pay you, it. You, yeah, you may have to sell it at a higher price to make a profit. Yeah, that doesn't mean that your, buy your, your buyer is going to pay it. Of course, right. of course. Certainly at certain times of the year, the market will bear that. Yeah, I get, I get that. Thank you. And what I said previously was the price continues to tumble and will, and then once the corporations move in in five years and the big mega grows go, it's going to continue to tumble drastically. And is, is the price coming down because of overproduction? Yes. Pretty much. Okay. Yeah. Yeah, so there's hope. Yeah, and the bottom things are processing costs, which is trimming and, and between people manually trimming it or mechanically <coughs> trimming it. Uh, Great. This is great information. I really yeah. appreciate it. Oh, thank, thank you very much. Thank you, Captain. You know, I'm, I'm just trying to do my homework. It's right yeah. about the front of me. But I did write this one little thing because I'm not very good off the fly. So if I can just read this, I'll be done. Sure, thanks. Uh, ANZA has a very long history with cannabis. The industry used to exist under the Manzanitas and Red Shanks. It could go back to existing under the Manzanitas and Red Shanks, if it has to. But do not expect it to go away. After all, Prop 64 allows anyone 21 and over to grow six plants outside, anywhere that meets the requirements, regardless of what Riverside County decides to do about commercial cultivation. The cannabis industry and consumers are savvy after 40 to 50 years of persecution and propaganda. Legalization has come about against all odds and efforts to the contrary. And it came about purely due to the will of the voters through the proper course, the initiative legislative process. Do not expect this social change to turn around. With, with legalization, judges are less likely to try criminal cases. So we have code enforcement running around like Keystone cops playing whack-a-mole 
at the bequest of hateful, bigoted neighbors, creating a Hatfield and McCoy reality in our community. So the question is, do we want to bring the growers out into the commercial light of day of regulation and taxation, or carry on with the status quo? <coughs> if Riverside County opts in to Prop 64, State Bureau of Cannabis Control tax revenues will be available for enforcement purposes, as well as local community, local county tax revenues will be generated. The snafu is, if Riverside County opts out of Prop 64, no Bureau of Cannabis Control state tax revenues will be available to Riverside County. So it's kind of a win-win or lose-lose situation <coughs> as far as the tax fee revenue is concerned. We all pay property tax up here as well. What and how ANZA procures tax revenue from the county is obviously a county government problem. We have a growers association forming up here, representing all local farmers, including the Asian and Hispanic residents here. Most want to participate in this new taxed and regulated paradigm, if it includes them too. This also can be a win-win situation with a broader tax and permit fee base and less enforcement costs due to a smaller black market. So we are calling for a broad-based, reasonable permitting process that encourages all to join in. Any leanings towards a limited entry, high-cost scenario would indicate an exclusionary, corruptible program. We feel it is all about inclusion, not exclusion. Also, we, I'd like to reiterate, re-endorse full season outdoor organic production using the sun. That eliminates a lot of the infrastructure problems that we've been talking about <coughs> up until then. That's all I've got. Okay, okay well thank you very much, Kendall. Uh, yeah, it's, Quite a bit. All right. I have a question. You have a question? Go I ahead. I was hoping for some information about what you see as a range of size of grows. Yeah. Uh, I've got information. You know, Bob talked about what's going on in Humboldt. And um, I've got, you know, there. I've got organs. No, no. I mean, can, can you <coughs> apply what all your knowledge to devising some guidance for ANZA. Right, well, um, some places to go by square footage, some places go by the plant. Okay, I was gonna say, in Oregon, <coughs> they've got four tiers for indoors. Okay. Up to 625 square feet indoors is the lowest tier. Then 625 to 1250 is their second tier. 1,200 to 5,000 square feet indoor is their third tier, and 5,000 to 10,000 square feet is their largest tier. Okay, the state permit fees for those are 1,000, 2,000, 3,700, and 5,700 for the largest. Outdoor production canopy sizes in Oregon are four times that. 
So the micro tier one is up to 2,500 square feet. Micro tier two is 2,500 to 5,000 square feet. Tier two, tier one, they go micro tier one, micro tier two, tier one, tier two. So tier two is 5,000 to 20,000 square feet. And tier two is 20,000 to 40,000 square feet, almost an acre. An acre is 43,560 feet. And once again, the, 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 the permit fees are the same, 1,000, 2,000, 3,750, and 5,700 for that acre permit per year, okay? Uh, Colorado, on the other hand, goes by plants. Yeah, can, can I stop you there? Because, I mean, we can just go by, there's, there's a, I mean, these metrics are, are fine and all, but um, I think... We're talking about canopy size and... Yeah, um, I mean the the, the the situation in Colorado and Oregon as far as water and power again is very different to that one in, that in Anza. Um, I think uh, uh, a question that I'm not sure if you can answer. Do you, you mentioned you had a you're forming a, a group is forming, correct? Yeah. All right. So, do we have uh, a number of amount of people who actually uh, organize? Let's say I say organizations because they could be an LLC, they could be a, a well, cooperative. Well, everybody didn't all come running at once. Let's put it that way. Yeah, but see, again, as part of the final report that we have to put together, it would be important, as you mentioned, you were mentioning all these tiers and and these uh, these numbers, these fees that there some people are willing to pay. It would be interesting to know how many people are willing to comply and at what tier they would be in so we could have some sort of idea we could come up to the board of supervisors and say hey look sure, we have so many people that are going to pay that. so much money and so much money is going to come back to riverside because that's 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 how you're going to convince the the board of supervisors that this will actually work and um, as you mentioned bob mentioned at the meetings it has to be a win-win-win people in town have to win farmers <coughs> can win and the government needs to win as well because they need money for enforcement town needs money for improvement and the farmers want to be able to comply so they can win in their industry so I think that's that's the, the, the important metric that we need is how many how many farmers want to play ball with or willing to play ball basically I would expand that to how many farmers are there how many want to comply mm -hmm. and some guideline for what are their needs how many would be happy with 625 square feet how many would feel it's not worth it for me unless I'm at 40,000 square feet? How many would be happy with indoor, outdoor, combina some, some way to tailor it. Anza is, comp I mean, Humboldt is gushing with water. Uh, we have a very finite, so something to tailor it to where, to try and understand a grower's perspective, at least tailor it to Anza so that it can be viewed as this would be considered reasonable from that side of the conversation. Correct. And there's a big difference between indoor and outdoor because indoor primarily everyone's growing hydroponically, which is quite water thrifty actually compared to outdoor cultivation. So you've got those issues too. You're, you're talking apples and oranges as far as water using. But not power thrifty again as, as we just saw yeah. a while ago. So. Outdoor is power thrifty. There's next, you're only pumping water out of your well is the only electricity you're using unless you're uh, greenhouses are kind of in the middle because they're using lights to extend the daylight. Uh, but indoor, very electric, high electric usage. 
but indoor low water usage, actually, because they're recycling systems that only get changed out every week or two. <coughs> Again, as, as, as Kevin mentioned, the idea of, of knowing where you stand and where you will be in 10 years, it would also be important to know, out of all these growers, farmers, uh, how many of them are indoor, how many of them are outdoor, so we would know, so as far as <coughs> non-compliance, you have, we, we saw we had 200, apparently, uh, there are the, the, the 200, a bunch of, uh, non-compliant, the illegal uh, indoor farmers, how many of those want to comply? Because that way we would have a number, we'd have an idea of maybe if, if there were only 50 instead of 200, what impact would that have on the grid? Mm -hmm. So that, that could give Kevin another idea as far as uh, your projections and, and the idea of being able to knock out all those other illegal operations. So I'm just saying, I think that's a very important number to have, how many farmers want to actually comply. And I know, Richard, you also mentioned that you, you're, uh, you're a liaison with the, with the Asian community that farms. Well, it's also important to know how many of them are truly, truly uh, interested in complying. And, and I, I would like you to be unbiased here and, and really determine who, who wants to comply and who's really complacent where they are in this gray and even black market. Okay, so we can have a again, remember that a lot of people are growing outside. Yeah, that's important. I mean, so, we need these numbers. Yeah, numbers yeah, are yeah, we need to come up with hours on Google Maps. I can give you a pretty yeah, good idea of what's going on outside yeah. up here. Yeah. It's real simple. But it's that, real straightforward. I would really like that information, but I would genuinely, you have to appreciate I'm someone who genuinely does not understand um, what would make a grower who was living in Anza and doing this, you know, what number of plants, indoor, outdoor, uh, what zoning, you know, what would make that seem like a reasonable thing to that person, because they are my interlocutor as a resident who's not growing, and understand that I come from a place where I see video of what they call trimming plants, mm -hmm. and I see stuff, and I see scissors going, and I'm a gardener, and I don't know what you're trimming and what you're not trimming. So most of, many residents are at that level of knowledge <coughs> about um, what you do, and it would be useful to, for me to have information that might be obvious to you, but I know nothing about, in order to just add my to understand the issue and add my input. Yeah, yeah I think um, with some of this data that uh, Kendall have created, right? I think we, what we can do is you know to get some of this information in terms of you know how many you know you know farmers or, or you know here, right? And, uh, and we can get some feedback and survey in terms of how many are want to be compliant. I think some of the information can be collected. Right? We, we can but also that, yeah. exactly what you showed us about these four tiers and the micro tiers and so we on. We attempt to differentiate yeah. between indoor and outdoor growers would be, a, would yeah. be a, another. No, no. Um, what if there was a combination of both? Sure. What would be considered reasonable for ANZA given its particular water and energy limitations? Because Humboldt is a very different climate and a very different water and energy situation. Yeah, but I think what, what Ken was saying is the outdoor grower, right, will probably use less energy and less water. I got that. It's right? in my minutes. Right. And I was and very impressed that you that. So I think to your question, right, I think what we <coughs> could do is we could get some survey with, with the different group of you exactly. know the farmers we can collect some of the data and we can come back and provide some additional information as to 
what level of you know number <coughs> or, or acre they would prefer, and, and then we could discuss as to what would be most applicable for this value, right? Okay. So, so I'm sure Kevin there's plenty that don't want in Kendall, uh, as well. Kevin has a question. There's, there's, uh, there's a, a number, you're right. Let me, just a rhetorical question here, just to the group. Uh, looking at your numbers here, Kendall, yeah. what, what impetus would there be for someone who's getting $3,000 a pound to move his indoor grow outdoors and reduce his his gross to five hundred dollars a pound. Yeah. Well, first off, the three thousand dollar a pound is a not twenty ten price. Oh, I'm sorry. I'm That's sorry. You go from fifteen hundred to five hundred. Still, yeah. Okay. The but price is five hundred to fifteen hundred. Okay, but what what impetus would there be for him to grow a lower quality product? Is what you said, um, and uh, potentially less of it because you only get one growing season, right? But the vo you get more volume. But what if you don't have the wherewithal to do that as a grower? I, I don't know. I'm An outdoor plant can yield anywhere from a pound to four pounds up to even five, six pounds per plant. Indoor. One, once or per year, right? Right. Okay. Now indoors, people are getting, the way it's, it's structured, they're only getting an ounce or two out of each plant. Also the amount of investment, right, up front, mm -hmm. right? If you are doing indoor, definitely investing in Indoor sure. definitely costs you more. I get that, but I'm talking about somebody who's already growing indoors. What's going to make them go outdoors? Less cost, yeah. less problems. They've, they've already bought their outdoors infrastructure. Outdoors so much easier. <laughs> yeah. Is just, it? I guess at it this does. point, I, I guess to answer your so question, I'm, be, just, I'm just curious. If, if we, if we, if, if this uh, this, this <clears throat> body would promote it, I would imagine what would uh, entice them or persuade them to go outdoors would be the idea of being compliant. Being able to comply somehow. If, if, but if, there's if, no enforcement now. Exactly. Period. That's my concern. <laughs> True. My, that's so, my main concern. But the idea would be to move to this framework where where you would allow certain uh, certain types of cultivation if you if you allow the outdoor cultivation and perhaps even prohibit uh, indoor cultivation altogether. Mm -hmm. I'm just I'm just throwing this out. They're not. This isn't. Don't. It's put been this in this. prohibited forever. So so if if you do that, if, if you manage to are. do that, perhaps and you create a pathway to. Um, Compliance with state okay. uh, legal, uh, legislation, perhaps that would persuade them to okay. go there. I guess. I'm, I'm, no, no, no. I, I, <laughs> the, the big problem I see we, that we also need to come up with is what is the ceiling going to be on <coughs> the growers wanting to come under the umbrella? If we charge, if too much money is charged. They're going to stay black. No. It's exclusionary. Well, let's say it's not prohibitive, but at that first meeting I attended w at the AVMAC meeting, mm -hmm. some young man got up and said, it's ANZA. Everyone's coming to ANZA. The cartels are here, the this is here, the that is here. What's to stop it just continuing and continuing till, as you read in your thing of the remap, the only thing that will be left is the farms, the ranches, the rural residences, the rural lifestyle. How many we'll parcels are for sale up here right now? Um, There's only a limited amount of properties available. I'll, t I'll sit down. That's a great things. way to stop it. There's a number of people who have already left, and you, there will be more properties for sale yeah. if this industry continues to impact just normal families. One and two. Some of you know I have part of my life in a more urban area. And a lot of those people voted to legalize cannabis. 
And none of them thought about, oh my God, what is the impact going to be on a rural community in Southern California? Their whole thing is, I like to smoke pot, I want it to be legal, you know, I want my little stash. And if the impact is you wipe out swaths of living because it's an ideal location for cannabis, <coughs> it might not save Anza, but at some point that will be appreciated. The, uh, the illegal under whatever, the, the non-compliant, not official way of growing cannabis has had impact in California. Not as much in Anza, but if you look further up north, there's lots of papers written about the environmental impact and the impact on the community. It's true that it, it has gone on, but there have been appreciable, palpable impacts on communities. Well, let's once again realize the industry is here, and, and the impacts are what you see. But you indicated last meeting and meeting before that the 85% of the buyers up here are buying property specifically for cannabis. 80 to 85% of the buyers coming in are looking to I spoke to Dave today, the owner of um, Grassroots. I asked him, I said, what do you think in terms of the number of growers up here? You know, you think you'd have a sense of it with the customers in and out. He really didn't, but he thought up around 2,000 growers up here. Now that I seemed like a lot. Well, right. my estimation right sense? now is Anybody? that 15 to 18 percent of the properties up here have people growing marijuana. That's probably my that's my estimation right now. But that's almost 20 percent. So that's probably accurate. And I know they they have five trucks a day, duallys of soil. Yeah. So start figuring out how many pallets and how many bags they're going out there. <coughs> And, you know, I don't know what's in the bags. I know most of them are, but I also know from the farming activity next door to me, my nitrates are going up. And he's an organic farmer. Mm -hmm. And we're putting in point imports in the soil. <coughs> and we're drawing highly mineralized water to the surface. Those are two things that have poisoned Australia and a lot of other farming communities from subsidence and salting of the soil. Mm. Your septic so, tank adds nitrates to the soil. It does as well. Yeah. And, and it, you know. This is, this once is, again, excuse me, but I gotta step in here. Sure, go right ahead. Here's some pictures, all right? This is from a cannabis operation that I helped <coughs> shut down. Empty bottles of chemicals, five gallon pails, broken right. packages of, uh, this is what these animals left. I right? mean. Yes. I agree. And That's this is across the street from my house. And it ends up the, in our aquifer. Along with the three other uh, Asian cartel growers that are in each corner of my property. I have to ask, is there really room in yeah. this regulatory framework for cartels? Because um, if not, yeah, I mean, I'm... Those pictures I've sent into uh, the Anza Valley Outlook. I haven't seen anything back yet. But if you'd like to visit this spot, I'll leave my number. Come over and I'll show you what these people have left. Because this is what's going into the water system. This okay. is what I so mean by a hundred tons. A hundred tons of left. chemicals come in from Mexico every month. We don't know what's in them. Okay, sir. Um, thank you. Uh, no, no, thank you. Thank you for participating. Um, yes, sure. uh, we are. We are very aware. We're very aware that this is a situation that's happening, just like the power theft, <coughs> and 
Um, again, this, this conversation has happened a thousand times at the MAC meetings, but really the reason we're here is to try and figure out a way to stop this and make whoever doesn't do this allow them to stay. Okay, there are, this, I always compare cannabis grows to gun owners. I know right now guns are a hot topic, so we won't discuss whether it's good or bad, but there was a, a person recently went into a school and shot a bunch of people. That doesn't mean that everybody else that has a gun is going to go into a school and shoot a bunch of people. But for the conversation right now is, hey, should we regulate who and who gets a gun? Because some people are misusing guns, right? So the, the situation in Anza is very similar. There are people who are doing this. They're throwing all these chemicals in there. And obviously, these guys are not organic growers. Obviously, they would not fit in with the California model that currently Cal Cannabis or Macurza or I don't know what the regulatory body is. They have like five. But um, I think it's the CDFA. CDFA uh, regulates the grows. So the CDFA requires uh, you have a pesticide program that, that have... That, that meets certain guidelines. They require that to sell um, the cannabis, it has to go through some screening, some testing. So, so what we're really trying to get to here is how do we avoid this that you brought to the table? And, and well, if I, I'm, I'm getting the impression that Kendall seems like to be a, a, a decent person, that's why he's on the board, um, that he, he's proposing this decent way of growing this cannabis that is, in a way, yes, it's already here. We have bad actors and good actors. As Kevin Smith, Kevin Smith, I'm sorry, no, Kevin Short mentioned. Sounds like it. Yeah, okay. yeah, yeah. yeah. Um, uh, this 10-year this, this vision. They have an idea of where they're going to be in 10 years in so far the power. Um, to get rid of this Asian cartel that you mentioned, um, you would need manpower. You would need police power. And if you ask Riverside County where they see themselves in five years as far as police power, they're going to tell you flat broke and the same as they are now. They have no way to dig themselves out of the hole. And what we're trying to do here, and I will remind everyone, is to find a solution to the problem. And the solution would be to somehow get the good actors to push out the bad actors. I think that's the that's only the way part I see. I don't, sorry, that's the only way I see. I mean, I don't see any other solution to this problem. Really, I mean, because there is no, there is no funding to enforce the all-out ban. We mentioned it at the beginning of the meeting. Yes, an all-out ban would solve the problem perfectly if we had the manpower. I don't know, want to bring in the National Guard? What do we do to, to completely enforce uh, this this large extension of land and these pop-up groves. Edison, if, sorry. No, go for it. You're, I'm done. <coughs> if we that. say we have a certain percentage of, I'm hearing anywhere between 200 to 2,000 oh, growers and we're stretched at capacity in various ways and if even 1% of them do what those photographs show, there's a nasty impact on the community. So what I'm seeking to understand is if we devise a way for people to become compliant in a way that is more responsible and then we understand my meaning, penalize them by charging them because they became compliant, how does that, how does that change the rest of them continuing to do whatever they want to do and 1% of those people or now, since we've isolated the good actors, 5% of them behave like that. 
There, there doesn't appear to be a relationship between, or none that I have been able to see so far, as in encourage good people to be good, but it, I can't see the connection, and I see the value of that, I can't see the connection to the bad actors are going to come and do whatever they want as much as they want. I think the idea here would be that, um, I'll, I'll get you right now, but I think the idea here is, um, uh, in my mind, this, 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 this penalization, this uh, taxation or fee, would go to uh, enforcement. So that's the idea. So you don't have money to enforce. You create a source of revenue for that enforcement. But we have zero control over that. Well, well, that's why that's the this coming back to creating an entity that the money comes back True. to the community. Okay, that's that's earmarked. Whether it be a CSA, <coughs> which won't happen because we won't get two thirds. Let's call it a cannabis uh, impact fee. Okay and it gets sent to the general fund and it comes back to a local governing body that gets created. It's the intricacy of building this, but they do that for valley-wide parks and recreation in Owanga. That money goes <coughs> to the general fund, but it comes back to valley-wide parks and they get to spend all that money. We don't have the ability to form a city here. We could try it, it would be a decade or more before it would ever happen, if it ever happened, and we don't have that. And period. the four to five million we generate in property taxes won't cover what we get now from the county. Asco. Sorry. This goes right back to the purpose of why we're here. If this county opts in, see, California, the Bureau of Cannabis Control, the state agency, has been touting that they are going to generate the largest amount of tax revenue of anywhere. Colorado, Washington, Oregon. It has nowhere to go. It does not go into the California State General Fund. It is specifically earmarked for enforcement. So Riverside County can find a way to opt in on some kind of a scale. They will be able to garner tax revenue for enforcement. So there will be the new money to go after those who you do not either do not allow in the system or do not want to come into the system. Otherwise, you're up to the county, you're, you're back to going to Riverside and trying to find some money. If we opt out, we can't get it. The state's not going to provide that money. So there's But if you opt in, the state will guarantee provide. That's the way Prop 64 is written. Right. Yeah. And it's, it's we got Kevin. If I could just ask you guys that are growing, what level of fee uh, do you feel is acceptable? I mean, can we? Can you put a dollar amount on it? Annual. I don't care how you want to. Yeah, that's, I want to know what kind of metric you want to use. Okay. Okay. Well, just use a random number. Let's say. By weight. Let's say by weight. You you. But but yeah. a dollar amount. That is what I mean. Well, again, it depends on the market. But the fee's not going to move with yeah, the market. Exactly. <laughs> um, I mean, this is on top of the state fees, right? Which are exorbitant. So, right. Okay. You can, you can do a percent, right? Or a price or something. That would be something. So, scalable. but, but I'm, I'm interested in a dollar amount. Okay, here. I think, I think we have some, some costs, right, in terms of different levels, right? I mean, we could charge people based on, let's say, hey, you, if you're at this level, then that's the amount of, you know, 
license cost to you. Right. That, that would be. I mean, no, I get that. But, but I'm I'm really I'm really after just a, an absolute dollar amount that says yes, this is affordable. No, this is not. Well, well that's up to. Yeah. Well. Okay. Well, okay. An, an annual fee would be more attractive, easier to. Based on lot size, number of plants, the size of your canopy. Yeah. yeah. Okay. What's, so what's, that what's that number? What's that number? Five, ten, twenty grand. What? What? Just think we have to. Or a percentage. Yeah. Well, how about a percentage? Then you have to monitor each all sales. Each well, each it, Humboldt more complicated. Humboldt offers that's what the county's talking two percent of gross revenue on a fiscal year. That's one of the options that they allow. So How do they monitor humble. that though? Well, you have to what show what you're making. You have to report it, right? right. Yeah. What was the percentage? Two percent of the gross revenue. Two percent of gross? And, the, and, you, and you realize the state is in the process of creating a straight state chartered bank for this right now. Yeah. Because the, yeah. because so, okay, the money so is... So 2% of your gross? What's what's a typical gross? I, I, I have no wow. idea. Wow. You could be a you know, Yahoo selling $300 a pound. You could be indoor selling 2000 So it's hard to say. Okay. So well, what's, 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 a, what's an average... I'm sorry. I'm really looking for a, just a number. <laughs> yeah, yeah. What's, a, what's an That's average producer here coming up with every year in pounds? Is that a better metric? Okay, see, so right here, well, with the numbers you gave us, kind of average. Work, say, there's, there's say, a say well, there's a hundred plant okay, grown. Let's right? start with outdoor. Yeah, outdoor. Let's just say somebody was allowed to grow 99 plants outdoor, 100 plants, nice round figure, and they get four pounds per plant. That's 400 pounds a year. That's $500. That's that's probably not likely. Is it? Yeah. Yeah, it wouldn't be an average. 200k. No, four that's that's an up, that's an upper upper. Yeah. I'd say a pound and a half per yeah. plant, somewhere in that range. So yeah. so for 100 plants a year, you're seeing somewhere between 100 and 200k. For one wow. harvest outdoor, probably yes. Yeah. Okay, and what's the production cost for that? How much? Well, were we doing gross or net? Well, there's your gross revenue. Yeah. So yeah. Now you have to net it out with your expenses. Right. Yeah. So. Okay, so, so to have an idea, how much how much is your is your is your production cost? So, so that's outdoor was outdoor. eight to ten dollars a pound just for production. Okay, cost. so let's, let's stop with that one for a second. So if you're the outdoor grower and you're uh, grossing two hundred thousand dollars, you're going to spend four thousand dollars in this fee. That's your two percent number, right? Yeah. Does that is that reasonable on top of what the state's doing too? Or it's a little high. Or is it? See, there we well, go. I, so is everybody going to say, well, why would I want to spend that? Right. Yeah, well, that's okay, when when that, that is an existing down. scenario that's, that's in the that's exactly Col right. Colorado so, and Oregon where yeah. overregulation. It almost seems like this is really getting to the point of homelessness. From At this rate, yeah. Well, and you know, I went to a meeting where <clears throat> the state came and presented in Temecula. And they basically said, we know we're overtaxing right now at the state level. There, there is no room for anybody else. That, and Allison and my question to them was, well then, why is there any, why are you even moving forward if you already know you're overtaxing the product? People aren't going to pay it. You're going to create more black market. Certainly. Washington had to reduce their taxes already because right. they were doing exactly that. Right. And the state said, well, we're better off to start high was their comment. Well, everybody wants to cure their financial ills with this industry. Yeah, well, it's not going to happen. County to state. Um, 
Yeah. I guess maybe if, if let's just say for example, if we go out and survey, right, and give a rough estimate of what the board is thinking in terms of how much they're willing to afford if they have so many pounds per year, maybe there's some data we could try to come back. Right, I think I mean that because we don't know, right? Because each girl will be it's going different reasonable. number. So okay, yeah. so you're you're yeah. saying you will I mean, take on the that collect some data, right, make a sur do a survey, and bring yeah. that back to us to see how much people are willing to pay reasonably. And again, remember that again, it's a it has to be the win-win-win. If you don't, right. if you don't give enough, if you don't, as they say, pay the piper, well, really if you allow more people in. Then theoretically, everybody. Well, a, num a number of a number of people that will be allowed in or out has really not even been discussed because that's not a, a, the subject yet. We now need to know how much they're willing to pay. It seems to me you're, you said the four thousand dollars. Okay. Seems high, but so that's under this current condition. We'll make a motion right now. Would that not be worth more to you if you're guaranteed that you weren't going to lose your whole crop in a raid? That's for sure. Yeah. 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 That's, See, that's, that's the impetus for people so okay I'm gonna go back here and can I make a movement I'm actually not I'm not gonna ask you to make a movement I'm chairman I'm gonna move to ask uh, <laughs> Richard to survey the community and come up with a reasonable number of what growers would expect to pay for a municipal as a municipal fee there are other things that Richard Koo talked about um, getting information and data from growers so should we <coughs> think about those and expand our request to <coughs> Uh, for to ask Richard to survey gr the grower community about fees they're willing or you know whatever mm -hmm. fee they're willing to pay um, how many of them grow indoors how many grow outdoors approximately how many plants do they you know what do they consider a reasonable size of a grow to be economically viable come up with three or four questions if y'all will help me and I'll word the amendment yeah, definitely right and then I, I think I can because Kendall will have a lot of information which is already public, right? We, we just want to have a rough idea what is the grow here, right? Yeah, Richard, I want to throw the Humboldt and Washington right. out yeah. and totally focus on right. ANSA. Right. So yeah. this okay, is so, very so interesting but yeah. not useful. Right. All right, so formal survey and dropped off a stack of them at the hydro store. Yeah. Actually, that's not a bad idea. That's not a bad idea. Okay, so voluntarily take one home, put it in a box. So let's think of three questions. What are the top three questions we need answered? One is the fee. What is what is too much? I believe it would be the answer. What is reasonable? What is reasonable? But I, I think everybody needs to know what their cap is. At some point, like, would you? How much would you pay for this gavel? And you should say, we qualify I would that if you are growing ninety-nine plants yes, indoors? If you are growing ninety-nine plants outdoors? Reasonable canopy size, reasonable fee, and let's throw another question in there. Are those two good enough? Cheers. Willing to comply was one thing we talked about that he was going to tell us before. Yeah, I guess with those three questions, I guess we can have a, at least an idea. What do you do with that? Yeah. I mean, I, I think that's a reasonable question. That should be also asked whether you're growing indoor currently. Indoor, indoor, outdoor, willing to comply, fee, and canopy size. 
or plant count. Can yeah. I think you can help us? Like explain why we're doing this. Yeah, I th exactly. I think the two of you can help okay. us yeah. create three or four okay. lucid questions the that are posed in yeah, a way to elicit information and not be threatening, but are particular to Anza and Anza only. Do I have to move the question? And actually address no, the just information receiving the gap. Cool, thanks. You're the expert here. I'm not. I saw you have a, a, a drawer full of George. Okay, so we have. George, George, we got a, we got over here, and then I oh, guess. Oh, for heaven's sakes! I think I forgot my question. <laughs> um, Can I just make a request that we refrain from using the words cartels? Yeah. These racial slurs are really not appreciated. I find there are cartel is racial. It no, is it's not. not. Well, Cartel is a legal you, definition. Well, and yeah, but somebody you. named a, a ethnic cartel. That's yeah. racist. Yeah. That's, that's racist. So, yeah. that's, okay, that's there's different. two being thrown around mostly. Yeah, okay. Asian and Hispanic. Okay, and that's we have Asian one. residents up here, and we have Hispanic residents. Yeah. I'm Asian. I never use the word Asian cartel, but cartel is a legal term, and yeah. we need to use it because that's one of the major concerns for community members who are not growing. Yes, but again, I'm going to go with Kendall here, and last time the law enforcement officers came around, they said there was no cartel. So that's, well, well I think, but I think let's, just, let's just refrain right. from using yeah. racial slurs, and, yes. and let's leave right. it at that. I mean, I Sorry, point of clarification. Right. Someone at that first AMAC meeting I attended said, everybody's here, everybody's coming here, the cartels are here. There was no ethnic designation, but cartel as a legal term meant somebody who had a broad-based approach to extra-legal sources of revenue that often include violence. That's a gang. Fine. It's, they're gangs. That's 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 then the term I'm is gang. I'm willing to amend my term to gang. Sure. But I am very interested in that aspect yes. and how it affects Anza. <coughs> okay. So. Okay. I'm sorry. I remember my question. If I may. Um, are we going to base your your request of these gentlemen um, uh, essentially on a, a percentage of gross? Is that what we settled on? Um, I guess part of the question of what fee they're willing to pay, perhaps. A, you can have like right, an A or B situation. You guys thought percentage of gross sounded right? I, I'm sorry, I think that's what you said. That, that could work. There's going to be a spot for public comment at the end. We're almost out. done. We'll, we'll propose something from the feedback and then we'll present to you guys and to see if that's a reasonable feedback, right? I mean, I think, you know, until we get some information from the grower, we will not know exactly what it is. Okay, then so let's make, yeah, let yeah. Kevin, would you like to make your motion for uh, My motion isn't sorry, there yet. Sorry, so sorry. There's, there's a motion and a second on the floor. We're in discussion yeah. on that motion. So for an amended yeah. motion. Yeah. Which needs to be amended Yeah, so I would like to amend my motion that Richard uh, perform a survey uh, in which he would gather information on uh, reasonable fee growers would be willing to pay what they're currently growing as far as uh, indoor or outdoor, what canopy size they're growing, and what seems like a reasonable cap. Um, what else would we say? Was it one of those three? Well, with those three, I think those three should be enough. Yeah, I'll whether they're willing bring. to comply. Yeah. Willing to comply is number four. Yeah, number four. Probably should be Yeah, four. well, they're not going <laughs> to fill one out if they're not willing to comply. but. Yeah. Control, maybe. <laughs> and you know, I have three. Give me wait, four. Wait, do I get a second on my motion or no? Can't uh, help me word the motion again. Reasonable right. fee. Are you gro currently growing indoors or outdoors? What is a reasonable 
Canopy size. Are you cap. willing to comply? Yeah. And are you willing to comply? Got it. Thank you. I'll second. Yes. All those in favor? Uh, any discussion on that? No, no. All in favor? Aye. Aye. Okay, cool. So let's move it on. Um, Before we just to can we request that I will give him this, the, these questions at the end of this meeting yeah. and request Kenneth and uh, Kenneth. George Ian to assist to yeah. be part of it, and let's have some response by email <coughs> back to. Uh, our chairman, as in, here are the questions, this is how we're doing the survey. Before the next meeting. Right away, right. so that before the next meeting, hopefully we have some results to discuss, because right. we seem to be accelerating. Yes, I would like that. You know, and I hate to bring up this word, snitch, but <laughs> the, this, the, whatever ends up coming out, it's it needs to be self-policing, too. Yeah. So if yeah. you see bad actors acting badly for like this gentleman who's sees all the stuff being dumped on his property, you know, which I'm sure he's vociferous about it, but sure. you need to say to somebody, hey, you know, you're, you're right. doing a bad you're thing. Us look bad, basically. We moved here because we like the area of most of us. And I, and I would say, Joseph, just, right, I, mean, I think that most people, you know, are not like that, right? I mean, probably these yeah. are just one bad apple or two bad apples. Well, there's more than one. Sure. I've seen them. So, so <laughs> the, the remnants. Like so. I said before, the, the, the transfer station is being done, used. It's being well used. By the, you see those nutrient containers that he's got in his pictures in the dumpsters at the transfer station all the time. <clears throat> okay, so I guess that... We, we can leave that there. We had a presentation by Philip Kennedy on the situation of water. He sent us this uh, water depth chart with the years. Um, there's, a, there's a couple handouts there. I brought a couple if you want to pass them along. Um, it really, honestly, without Philip here, it tells me very little because I see we're kind of in the same situation as we were in 1990. Uh, there's really no graph to see a population growth. Or if you guys would like, I can run some copies of this. Oh, yeah, I just, brought, I just brought five, sorry. Oh, okay. Um, so I sent it by email as well, but I mean, the same, Brian, just yeah. but um, it, it I, I don't know. I think we'll have to wait for Philip until next time. Or if um, um, uh, Daryl, I know you have some expertise in the water situation. Um, no, if you can read this for us. Uh, it doesn't look like it's varied that much to me. Yeah, it, it says it's, it's water depth in feet below ground level. I can see that we're... That's his standing water level in his well. Okay, cool. So it's... And maybe... And it's one well. It's one it's well. One yeah. well. It, it's, it's not representative, so I guess we have... I guess we'll we'll just skip Philip's presentation because he's not here. So um, we'll how move on. How do we address the water? Uh, how should we get information about water? Um, there was an article a couple of years ago in the paper that was produced by Mike Machado, who's water. And it was about the groundwater survey and, and, and some studies <laughs> that had been done. It's just right here. Actually, I, I found some information on the U.S. groundwater survey. Right, but and it's more than just a map. Well, what they tried to do, they tried to do this, I believe, in 2013 or 2014. Uh, there's a situation where um, they, the evaluation of groundwater resources of the Anzatoriliger area. Unfortunately, um, the USGS proposal CA07E was not funded due to changes in the economics uh, situation. So, Thank you. 
Uh, thank you, Mr. Chairman. Um, I will not volunteer him, but um, there is a representative from the Anza Groundwater Association present tonight. Yeah, I want to know that the Phil Canada is also an Anza Groundwater Association. He is. Is he? Um, he is. Um, so, um, what I would like to ask is if we could uh, get Agua's uh, input as a, as a committee. Yeah, I, I suggest we... we uh, I would have to take it back to the committee. I can't really speak you, understood. for Agua. Right. Okay. I can sit here and say that to characterize the, the, the water <coughs> situation in the basin off of one well mm -hmm. no. and what is... is could you perhaps uh, take that back to your board and, and not, not necessarily report to us, but hand us a report somehow of the of current what, situation. Of, of what? On, what uh, again, I, I guess something similar to this, but a more of a broader picture of Anza. I have to refer you to the latest uh, USGS report that was done in 2015. Okay. And there's a new one. That's, uh, there's another phase that's just starting up. Um, but that's a, that's a pretty extensive uh, study where they, they characterize water levels region-wide declining about three-quarters of a foot. Cool. Uh, Per year, all right. When average over the entire basin, you know, so some areas might have three, five feet a year. Some other areas you might have nothing or even some rise due to recharge. But you know, I, I think everybody knows there's been a shift in yeah. in land use in the valley here. The, the, the <coughs> potato farmers gone away, and they're they're you know they're, they're the major users of water. So eighty percent of the draw, right? Probably draw. The draw. Well, companies up here have some idea. Every time you change the pump, you're you can measure your levels. But of course, you're not changing. Yeah, they do. You're not changing pumps every year. So it's well, the, the, the USGS had data going back to the 50s on. Right. You know, some of them were, was some of the wells were shifted around, but I think it was something. Uh, what was it? Like 80 wells. Or yeah, like mine was one of the test yeah. wells. Yeah, and so these are these are wells they monitored long-term data going back years and years and years. Some they've had. Parser is one of them as well. You know, so. If next time you meet, I'd be happy to provide you with a hard copy of that report. It's, it's, we would it's, really it's, appreciate it's not that. highly technical, but it, it, it has a great summary, and it, you know the, the USGS backs it. We have to recall we're in a record-breaking drought, and this this year's like the third driest year on record. I will do my best. I guess good. I will. I can I can try and put something together as far as getting that information and try and figure out some historical situation where we are where we're going and the actually, amount of water. Actually, Chairman Gomez Kraus, any chance that we could impose on Brian to before the next meeting um, get in touch with his co-committee members on Agua and not just provide us with this report but also a summary or synopsis with this particular topic in mind uh, to help educate this committee sure. about what that report says, what it likely, what is the link between it, ANZA, and the cannabis growing issue that we're considering. Even like a, that, that a short paragraph. We don't, we don't have enough knowledge to know what could, the link is. Could you know, Agua... We can just provide general trends of what's happening. So, so, you know, we've done, I think, three or two water summits now where we invited the community to come in, even bring uh, samples of their well water in to, you know, check for nitrates and stuff. And, you know, it's, it's, it's not just quantity that you're, you're looking at here. There's also quality of the Absolutely. Water. As this gentleman pointed out here, there are people that mistreat the land and become a point source of, of, of a pollution. And that impact is... Really, really, it's it's so spotty 
to generalize it over the, the entire basin, then we would just take a, a multi-million dollar study. Just These are the that. same nutrients that the potato farmers are using too. Yeah, like the potatoes do not yeah, grow in yeah, sand. Yeah, yeah, they yeah. need fertilizer, they need nutrients. They're the same nutrients that I the I can't farmer. speak to that. I can't speak that. I don't know enough about it. I but do. Uh, I know uh, that yeah. they, they need fertilizer. They won't grow in the sand. And, and, and the, the same basic chemical nutrient fertilizers are in the cannabis fertilizers and the potato fertilizers. <coughs> it's all the same. I do grow potatoes without fertilizer. So, Empire's chemicals are regulated. The ones that marijuana growers are using are not. Um, they're the same. Okay. Well, I'd be, I'd be happy to maybe do a short presentation. Yes, I think I will, we'll, we'll move to have, um, I will Brian, make us give us an AGWA report. Yes, correct. Thank you. Uh, do I get a second for uh, Brian doing a second a vote? All in favor? All right, cool. Good job, I guess. Okay, so let's, let's close this up. Um, the, the next meeting, yeah. Uh, I want to start a draft of what our final report is going to look like. These meetings can go on forever and we can never come to any conclusion, so we do have to start. I will bring in some framework for a document, what, what we should be delivering to the MAC, <coughs> and hopefully we'll start filling in blanks and come to some sort of consensus as to what needs to be done. Okay, That's, that's pretty much what needs to happen, and uh, the sooner the better. Uh, we can drag this on for two months, or we can do it in the next two, three weeks and get it done with. So I would... I'm going to propose right I now... I may not be able to attend a weekly meeting. Okay. Noted. I kind of, po you know, understood that it was every two weeks where I would make sure I was here. Well, and, the, and it, I'll tell you, it makes it, it, it's difficult not having a secretary. Yeah, no, no, I mean, I thought you were going to be here today, I was like, oh my God, that's right. And I said secretary. So, okay. I promised I would be here, no, no, but no. I can't go Okay, cool, week. cool, no, that's, that's no problem, I just, I was just throwing it out there. So, um, that's just that, I'll bring that in for the next meeting, I, 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 uh, I guess that will be in two weeks then. Um, New assignments, well, that will be my assignment. Uh, Richard has his survey, and we have the AWA thing going on as well. Um, we have one guest speaker. We had a guest speaker. He's gone. He left. Okay, yeah, he's gone. Yeah. Who did we have? Uh, a, a member of Amerigas. Apparently, they work with a lot of the growers here. They have a program called Grow With Us, and they provide gas heating for them. Hey. It's it's just a matter of the, the um really yeah it's it's, it's a thing so <laughs> I had no idea the gas companies were involved so I make a motion that our chairman reach out to this um, guest speaker by email apologize that he probably had to leave um, before he could make his presentation and would he be willing to provide one by email I, for yes. distribution I second that and no discussion I put to vote all in favor. Uh, okay. Good. Okay. So we're going on to public comments. I know some people had some things to say. One guy just left again. And um, man in the back, did you speak your piece or no? I have one question for uh, Mr. Short. Please yes, tell us your name. Uh, Gary Warbeck, W-O-R-O-B-E-C. I've lived up here for 27 w -O -R -O years. W-O-R-O-B-E-C. O-B-E-C. Thank you. Kevin, according to the bylaws of the co-op that I read, at least, and you obviously are way more familiar, the Board of Directors has the power to shut power off to anybody that's doing anything illegal. Um, which is correct, which is delegated to the general manager. Okay. If, in fact, Riverside County has an ordinance against growing marijuana mm -hmm. for profit or cultivation for commercial uses, why don't you shut the power off? I mean, what are they going to do, sue us? 
Uh, well, that potential exists. Yeah, but, uh, but <laughs> the burden of proof of, of illegal activity then falls on the co-op. But you know who's growing illegally. We're not an enforcement agency. Yeah. So there's 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 a. I understand your your question, and uh, we have talked about it at great length. Um, we've talked about possible scenarios to do just exactly that. And currently, uh, the directors feel that um, that responsibility does lie with the county because it is a law enforcement question. And just, just a follow-up question to that. <coughs> when you have a new connect for electricity, do you have anything in the contract that says if you are doing anything illegal, we can't cut you off? Um, by, by way of reference to um, uh, in other words, just board policy and state law. A simple sentence that says, upon determination of legal activity, your cover can be cut off. That sentence does not exist, no. Okay. Is that something that uh, is feasible? Because that would be a deterrent. Mm -hmm. I'm not saying it's a solution, but it might be a deterrent for this expanding, these expanding growing operations. Understood. Um, my suggestion, quite honestly, is as a member of the cooperative, um, our board meets every month. Uh, there is mm -hmm. the opportunity for yeah. uh, public input. Okay. And uh, so I would suggest that uh, uh, if you would uh, please, we, we have a forum sure. for attending. It, it, it's open all the time, but we like to know who's coming so we can get you on the agenda and have you uh, have some speaking time. I would recommend uh, addressing that question with the board. Great, and I apologize for my outburst earlier on. It's not usually what I do, but uh, <laughs> if you've uh, taken a look at my property with the four growers at each corner of my property that do not have grading permits, that have put up substandard trailers, that had bonfires out two days ago, open fires in the valley, no yep. sewage facilities, yep. running generators, mm -hmm. yep. it's intolerable. Understood. And and I, I fear that my little group down there in Terwilliger, there's gonna have to be some vigilante action to clean this up. Because they're just not gonna put up with it. Just not. I'm not opposed to uh, marijuana growing here at all. I believe that a regulated uh, system would be fine, pay some taxes, be good stewards of the land, hire some local people, be great. That's why we're here. But we can't yeah, yeah, have yeah, a yeah, continual yeah. black market that goes in. And goes out and then somebody else comes in. Yeah. It's, it's, your voice resonates with this entire group. Yeah. Thank you so much for your participation. Um, Kieran, we have a, a question over here. Uh, I just had a question because... Name, where do you oh, live? Diane Seeker, Lake Riverside. That's um, I don't have any immediate issues around my neighborhood, uh, as you can imagine. But what I have a question with is, um, who's buying? Where's the stuff going? And is California the only state that's checking for uh, pesticides. If people are growing to ship it to Wisconsin, do you think they really care? No. About no, pesticides? No, they don't. And from what I'm hearing, anybody that's making any money right now is selling it to people that are going out of state with it. So just to let my understanding is the value is triple what they get in California. My kid told me a rock and roll son who lives in North Carolina says he pays four thousand bucks a pound for pot grown out here that can be bought for 300 bucks a pound right now outdoor grown outdoor grown the whole trick to the, what they're doing is to get it out there i guess so yeah that's that's that's, that's very you know. 
No, no, I mean, that's, that's a very real thing. Again, as, as far as the black market, as we mentioned, yeah. what incentives do they have to, to come in and to pay fees? Um, I guess here the only incentive we could think about is not getting, not going to jail for crossing state lines with marijuana. I guess that would be your only incentive that you could sell it legally in or, California and you wouldn't go to jail for Or loss of their crop if there was enforcement. Yeah, so. if there was enforcement. So yeah, I guess, but yeah, that's but very... But it's just something considered no, it's, it's, fine. Yeah, it's, it's a very real thing. Do we have anything else? Anybody else? Next. Okay, well, the next meeting. Um, do we have a calendar? Um, have a look. Okay. So, okay, so. Is, is that the guest speaker again? Are you? Oh, no. Yes. Yes. Yeah. Are you with the gas company? No. Everybody from the gas company. Yeah, sure. Is that not something to say? Yes. All right. Two year olds have to like pray with her every night. But actually, um, I'm super nervous about public speaking. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> We're not the public. Over the attorney in San Diego. Whew, sorry, guys. And uh, I know I mentioned that like having trouble with funding, like legal research and stuff. We definitely help out. Whereas. 100% support of like regulation and permits, anything like that. So you're a law firm? Uh, I'm not an attorney, I'm like a legal assistant. Oh, okay. Oh, wow. yeah, yeah. Tell us your name, please. Oh, I'm sorry, that's Grant Funk. Grant Funk. And then what is it, sorry for this uh, bluntness, but what do you get out of this? I mean, do you um, not much. We uh, represent a couple clients like that buy and sell property, uh, represent different cannabis businesses, and I mean, there's looking at property up here. Sorry, guys. Give me a call. Sometime. You want to call? Yeah. Call. All right. Thank you. Your name again was? It's Grant. 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 Yeah, Grant. Like the band. Grant. Yeah, Grant. Grant. It was that an homage from your parents, yeah, Grant? Yeah, they're big fans. Of <laughs> and who's not? It was not. Yeah. Money, yeah. They were great. Yeah. All right. So the next meeting would be the week of. March 8th, uh, March 8th is a Thursday, Friday is the 9th, Saturday is the 10th. Does everybody agree with having these week uh, meetings on weekdays or does somebody want to move back to weekends? I'd be happy for a mix. A mix? What is that? Like, <coughs> like midnight oh. on Friday? No, 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 no. I mean, I'd be happy with some weekends, some weekdays. Okay, okay. Um, <coughs> I'm, I'm free that entire weekend, so it's really up to if there's a day that somebody can't make it, we can exclude that day to accommodate. And I don't know, can we use this venue again? It seems mm -hmm. pretty good. It seems very And the posh. coffee's really good. <laughs> it is posh. <laughs> is there a day that nobody can do? So, want to do a Friday? They did blend on the coffee. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> That's right. Was that Friday? Did you say? Order. Order with the coffee situation. Um, all right, so Friday the 9th. Does Friday the 9th work for everyone? It's it close to the weekend? Better. Friday the 9th. Friday the 9th? Not for you, Ah, you grunted. Is that a bad night? Go ahead. Go ahead. Oh, you you in your building. Is it your anniversary? You get some say in this. It's a Friday, come on. Oh. <laughs> um, just so you know, Philip Kennedy cannot make it at all, ever, on a Thursday. One. Right. Okay. Two, for me, I have a project that I have to abandon midweek. If it's on a Thursday, if it's on a Friday, I can finish the day. 
or leave in the middle of Friday and get here, so it eases it for me. Well, Fridays are better than Saturdays, no? Yeah. No. no. Which no? you prefer yeah. Saturdays? He needs two days to recover. Oh, okay. <laughs> it, it, uh, okay, well, let's take a consensus. Uh, let's see a vote of hands for Fridays. Friday's fine. Fine. I'm open. Sorry, Kevin. This, <laughs> we, could, we could start a little early on Friday. Yeah, if, if, would that work for everyone? Maybe four or five? Five, five might be good. Middle five. of the day is fine with me, too. I'm right here. <laughs> yeah. yeah, it works for me as well. I'm okay. I, no, not middle of the day. <laughs> <laughs> Some of us work, though. Yeah. Some of us are here working. Yeah, you're working. <laughs> so does five o'clock on Friday sound good to everyone? That's fine. Yeah, I move to have the next meeting Friday, March 9th. At five o'clock at this very same location. Same place. Same place. Do I get a second? We got a second. All right. Take it to a vote. All in favor? Aye. All right. Well, with that. Oh, before that, I forgot in the introduction to mention. I want to thank Kevin Shore and Anti Electric Cooperative for uh, allowing us to use it. Absolutely. If you're cooperative, let's use it. You're the bomb, Kevin. So with that, uh, does anybody have anything else to say? I need to get you the bigger gallon. Yes, I feel it. Yeah. <laughs> it's uh, inadequate. I got it. At 8.20, I call this meeting adjourned. After the meeting has adjourned, I have a, I have an informal don't you leave. It's about you. Oh, come on. Come on again.